Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is the outsourced supply chain with my friend Hannah Kane. Hannah is the CEO and the founder of a company called ALOM, A-L-O-M. And what they do is end-to-end supply chain solutions. Rather than just outsourcing your transportation or maybe your warehousing, when you need to outsource your whole supply chain, you call Hannah and her team. They have 19 global locations and they do everything. They execute customized, scalable supply chain fulfillment programs for market leaders like automotive, medical technology. They take care of everything from procurement, technology selection, and obviously fulfillment and transportation. Fantastic operation. Ken is a very interesting person. Check out my interview with her. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about the TMSA conference that's coming up in Savannah, Georgia, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And TMSA is Transportation Marketing and Sales Association. And they're having a conference called Elevate. It's down in Savannah, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And it's all about learning networking, getting inspired, having a good time, meeting the very top marketers in our space. And all the people who know how to grow your sales, they are at this conference. So it's a great event if you're trying to grow your sales and who isn't trying to grow their sales. So tmsatoday.org is the website. I will put a link to it in the show notes. I hope to see you down there. I will definitely be down there. So how's it going, Hannah? Oh, it's going fantastic, and I'm so glad to be here. I get to speak with you, and I get to talk about supply chain, so it's a good day. I'm excited to talk to you. You guys are doing something very interesting and different than most of the people I talk to. So, Hannah, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. So, I'm Hannah Kane, and I'm calling you from Silicon Valley. I have lived in Silicon Valley since '94. And in 97, I and uh, some other uh, supply chain professionals started uh, Elon. So we are headquartered here in Silicon Valley, and uh, we are working and shipping out of 19 locations globally. So I live here, or I'm on United States 10A. <laughs> so, so you said Elon. And that's A-L-O-M. What does that mean? Advanced Logistics Operations and Manufacturing. Wait, say that slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Advanced Logistics Operations and Manufacturing. Well, so that's a mouthful. But also, most people are doing, you know, who are on my podcast, we talk about logistics, transportation, warehousing, fulfillment. We do talk about manufacturing occasionally, and we do touch on operations it's all operations i guess but the and adding the advanced logistics this implies you guys are doing stuff a little different and i would suspect for your customers a little better than the rest well i would i would certainly say so and uh, fortunately so with our customers so yeah but but you know when when we started Elon, we had uh, some ideas and and you've you've been in the logistics for a long time so you you you'll know the the fun part of this which is uh, people looked uh, weird at me and said uh, Hannah, why, how do you come up with these type of things so one of the things i came up with was can we 
produce and ship products and get them in people's hands within 24 hours. Really? And people back in 97 were thinking I was absolutely crazy. And today we know 3D printing and we know that uh, this is actually a doable thing. It's not easy, but it can be done. The other vision I had back then and that we collaborated on was, can we create a company that's different, that looks at stakeholders different, whether it's employees, whether it's suppliers or customers and different stakeholders in the supply chain and do right by everybody in the supply chain. And that's not just people, but also the planet, of course. And then, of course, being in Silicon Valley, one of the crazy ideas I had that made people scratch their heads was, can we use technology in supply chain? Hey, nobody was thinking Not in 97, not very much. Right, right. And, uh, you know, so I had this idea. So then I said, well, maybe we can put inventory data in the hands of our customers. Everybody was like, you're crazy. Think about if the inventory is wrong, you cannot put it. So I've, I said, no, let's try to do it. So from the very beginning, from the very day, we had something called extranets. Today, you would call it customer portals with inventory. And people were blown away. I mean, it updated once a day, right? But, you know, hey, you go from having no inventory information to have daily info. It, it was a miracle. Right? So... All of these things have translated in over the 26-year history. So so that gives you a little bit of an idea about what's going on in this crazy mind of mine. Yeah, so <laughs> when when you started, um, and again, I think that, well, first off, let me, let me throw this out there just to set the table a little bit. When I think of the supply chain, I think from order to cash, from the time I get the order to the time I get cash, I'm a, a lean consultant at heart. So how, how do I make that faster, better, less expensive, smarter, right? And us in logistics, which I'll say is logistics, transportation, warehousing, a ton of specialized services, and of course, technology. We serve the supply chain. The supply chain is the dog. It is much, much bigger. We are the tail. But you and your company have become part of the dog in some ways because you are doing manufacturing, you are doing operations that typically the supply chain would do, but you're doing it as an outsourced service. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. So we take on big projects for our corporate customers and we do the planning and the, the procurement and the inventory management and the production and the fulfillment out of 19 locations globally. So where are your locations at? Just give us a sense. Are they Europe, Asia, US? Yeah, so we are headquartered in Silicon Valley. We have got one more location in the US, that's in Indianapolis. And then we've got, so our entire Americas is managed out of California, out of our headquarters there. And then we've got a subsidiary in the Netherlands that manages our EMEA business and another subsidiary in Hong Kong managing our APAC business. And we are then working different models in each region, just like we are, we are working with our customers using different business models. So one of the things we do different is we really adapt to the customers and the customers needs and so then creates different uh, 
challenges or opportunities in each uh, with each customer in each region. Yep. So tell me a little bit about you. Uh, I noticed that's an accent that is not from Brooklyn or uh, the South. <laughs> so wait, tell us, <laughs> where'd you grow up? <laughs> it's more of a Silicon Valley accent, <laughs> yeah. right? Because uh, in Silicon Valley, I think it's 57% of all companies started by immigrants. That's right. So, so that's why we got to keep so bringing, an, we have to keep bringing them. So, so yeah, I started, I started in Denmark. I was born in the town of he, the fairy tale author, author Hans Christian Andersen. And I'm always saying that he's making things up. And I stick with deal with realities. <laughs> but uh, yes, I was born there, grew up there, used for different, very interesting things. I have a dark past in politics. I was running for parliament. I was even member of parliament for a short period of time there. But mainly I was studying. And uh, and uh, when I felt that I was ready for it, I was... Uh, working in different uh, manufacturing companies. I also, at one point of time, was in a big services company. I taught at Copenhagen Business School, wrote a textbook in market analysis. And then uh, my husband and I decided that uh, it was time for a change. And uh, we bought a one-way ticket in 1990 to the US. Right. So I'll ask you, um, well, first of all, you have to realize some of us Americans don't we don't uh, we don't we don't know the rest of the world as well as we do but but your part of the your part of the world deliberately screws us up so I, we all know Sweden's a country we all know Norway's a country and I know Denmark's a country so that, so we'll start there Sweden Norway and then I I know um Finland's a country and they're all kind of in that Nordic region. But then when somebody says, I'm Danish, what do they mean by that? Uh, you're from Denmark. <laughs> you're born in Denmark. Right? <laughs> right? And yeah, then when, yeah. and when somebody says the Netherlands, is that a separate country? Yeah, that's uh, much further south. So uh, I always have fun with Americans because some of them start guessing where I'm from. And then I always uh, have them continue to guess, and I tell them whether they are too far south or too far <laughs> that north. That doesn't help and us. So I... <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's uh, one of my past. Yeah, and then yeah. my old roommate from college, he just bought a place in Amsterdam, and he's always back and forth. So that is in the Netherlands. The Netherlands. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just like when somebody says, oh, I'm from the U.K., or England, or Britain. You're like, come on, guys, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was just telling you before we hit record that I'm in Michigan and I was working with somebody from Finland, and I told them, we have tons of Finns in northern Michigan. So they all came for the, and there's mines up there. And I guess they were very good at mining, so they all landed up in the UP. And God God help him, because it's a cold place. It is winter till June there. A beautiful place, but cold. Anyway, well, let me ask one last question about you. Where you're from. What is one thing you will always miss about not being in Denmark? I think the hardest thing is probably around the holidays and the, the family events, right? So when you're an immigrant, you miss family events and uh, the traditions around holidays. So that's uh, that's really tough. And then, of course, there's the food, right? You know, that's sort of like a part, part of uh, yeah. who you are. Food and friends. And, and uh, so I think that's hard for all immigrants is you leave 
leave a lot of connections behind and this thing about uh, bantering about the high school you went to and things like that you miss that a yep. little bit so, so, so if uh, you moved back right now what would be one thing you would always miss about america when you're in america oh that would be so much right because now i've been here for 33 years uh, and so my friends here i've got uh, plus my businesses here, all my colleagues. But, you know, and especially in Silicon Valley, the business environment, the entrepreneurial, the can-do, just really fantastic. And I think the pride Americans take in their country is just really amazing. And, you know, the you, know, you really feel a connection and uh, rightfully so. So... Uh, uh, there's so much I would miss. I can't even, uh, you know, the nature, the culture, you know, there's so it, much. It's interesting, though, you mentioned earlier that how many CEOs, how many founders are from somewhere else. And so there is talent worldwide. And whatever we've done right in Silicon Valley, it wasn't as if it was planned. It just kind of happened. And hopefully, and by the way, it's not just there anymore. It, we sprouted places in Austin and I could name 30 cities that would say, we're the next Silicon Valley. But it's it speaks to an environment more than – because once we bring the people, you go, yeah, you sprinkle some immigrants on it, and you're like, it works. <laughs> Just yeah. add water. Yeah, well, you know, they, um, there's been a lot of books written about what works in Silicon Valley, certainly getting – people who have the initiative and the drive to start businesses and be part of this entrepreneurial environment, really key. Of course, the funding and the ability to actually grow the company. And then of, uh, the, the general talent in the region, right? So fueled by great learning institutions and of course other companies. So, uh, and and then I think also a collaborative spirit. I mean, it's very collab uh, competitive, but there's also a lot of co collaboration and support. And you have got all the support port firms here. So, just it was actually a great place to come to as an immigrant. Yeah, and weather's not so bad over there either. <laughs> <laughs> weather and nature and uh, yeah so uh let's switch gears let's talk more about alam so that stands for advanced logistics operations and manufacturing so when you started the company you you had some founders with you some partners so i had some some employees who were starting the company with me and uh, actually one of them is still with me as a vp of strategic supply chain you know, we were, uh, when you start a company, you have luck and you've got bad luck, uh, right? And uh, I had so much luck when I started. I had some really good staff members and within two to three months, we got some really big customers. So we went from having much too little to having much too much, really. And, you know, it just propelled our growth. So I was really lucky. I didn't need to take in uh, outside funding because we got cash flow positive really fast. Yep, that's fantastic. And that, by the way, it's I talked to a lot of people from Silicon Valley. I think you're the second one who said, I didn't take money from anyone else. I was like, oh my God, imagine that, a bootstrapper in Silicon Valley. I'm sure there's plenty, but it's just not the usual story you hear. That is correct. And, and, and women, of course, are more likely to do the bootstrapping or take very small funding rounds. But, you know, I think when you start a company, you decide which battles you want to fight. 
and uh, I did the bootstrapping and other people are taking cash and dealing with investors and I think there's no right or wrong. It's uh, really a question of personal preference. Yep. So we talked before we hit record, we were trying to figure out, I was trying to, not you figure out, I was trying to figure out what you guys do that's a little different than what I normally talk to. So why don't you talk about one of your customers and what you do for them? And the reason I say that is because you're not just doing traditional fulfillment. You're not just doing warehousing or transportation. You're doing actual supply chain things. So you're doing manufacturing and operation stuff that typically we don't see logistics companies wading into. That is correct. And and the way I think about it is we manage both the physical and the digital and the financial supply chain. So before everybody's uh, eyes are glazing over, let me let me give you an example. So for Ford Motor Company, we are managing an aftermarket program. So if you own a Ford vehicle I do. and you need <laughs> <laughs> and you need your maps uh, updated on uh, a little bit older models, it doesn't happen uh, automatically over the air. So you may get a promotion saying, "Do you want to upgrade your vehicle uh, maps?" And uh, that promotion actually comes from us. You land on a, an e-commerce site. That e-commerce site is managed by us, but and it's designed by us, but it's really branded for Ford. So no one can Ford tell you in the background, huh? So, so you've got to look carefully at you and see we are in the background. And at that point of time, we ask for your VIN. And during the event, we go into Ford's database and we see what your vehicle does and which which map you really need. And we also see whether you pre-bought a, a subscription and then we generate an offer for you for how to upgrade your maps. At that point of time, you can decide to do a physical map or you can get a downloaded uh, over the the air over the web and that will take you about 10 to 15 hours some people opt for that but most people actually say they would like to get a usb stick and we then uh, say okay here's what it's going to cost you give us your credit card we process that and then we send out the appropriate things to you and so then of course that's sort of the physical supply chain so we produce the usb we programmed it we programmed it for your vehicles that said will work when you plug it in. If somebody steals it in route or whatever, it will not work for them. Then we also, so you see here we have the physical supply chain, but the digital supply chain also because we designed the website that you were in visiting. We also manage all the downloads and the digital contents of that and the digital rights management. And finally, the financial supply chain, because we took your credit card, right? And then we also paid the license holder, uh, the, the, the people who generated the content on the cards. And then we settled over to Ford and we do, the, of course, the sales taxes and the customs and everything. So we manage all three supply chains and uh, really for our customer, this is a process that's transparent, but they are not involved in any of the nitty-gritty of it. Yeah, and you know what, Hannah, had some conversations lately about logistics, warehousing, and fulfillment. And it seems as if we're getting very specialized. So before we hit record, I mentioned to you that I talked to Paul Jarrett over at Bulu. They just do subscription boxes. If they somebody came to them with a project that should be yours, he'd be like... No, go see Hannah. That I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not for me. 
And I also mentioned Dusty Holcomb over at Red Stag. They do big and bulky. The stuff you guys do has no interest to them. And by the way, similarly, if somebody came to you and said, can you do subscription boxes? You'd be like, well, not exactly what we do. I suspect that. (laughs) Um, You work with certain supply chains, but not all supply chains. Am I right to say that? That is correct. So we are in four verticals. We are working with technology customers. That's, of course, our bread and butter originally in Silicon Valley. And then in 2001, we got into the medical field. And uh, that has been a very exciting field for us, especially here during the pandemic. We went into the automotive industry in 2006. And I know that's an industry that's near and dear to your heart. So we work with a number of the big automotives and also some of the more exciting new companies coming into that space. And uh, finally, we work in very regulated industries. So that's utilities, uh, financial services, and a number of companies that require strong adherence to uh, certain uh, guidelines and standards. Yes. And we have some government contracts as well. So when someone says, no, 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 Hannah, this is, there's a lot of Fed regs around this. You don't understand. You're like, no, no, I get Fed regs. Oh, no, there are a lot of compliance. You're like, I get compliance. We live, I mean, I I say this all the time is we're becoming more and more of a compliance, almost a compliance culture in business. Whereas we have rules from sometimes they're federal regulations, state regulations, or maybe they're just company regulations that we've decided we're going to live with. And, And we say we're going to all comply to those rules. And I think this is a challenge because when I'm, when I'm, picking a trucking company, if they don't comply to the standards that we've agreed we're going to use for a customer, I've broken the rules and potentially something goes wrong, right? So so my fr- my friends and my staff members will tell you that now you press the button because uh, now I can talk for another two hours about, <laughs> uh, about <laughs> compliance management, right? But, you know, in the old days, compliance was, was much easier. Not that it was ever easy, but it was much easier, right? You ask somebody for whether they complied, they, they took out the, the piece you, you asked about, and they sent it to a lab and they said, yeah, they, it complies, right? You know, here are the specs, yeah, it complies to the specs, so it doesn't comply. And now we are talking about all these things that happen in the supply chain. Was child labor involved at a tier three supplier? Did it come from a prohibited party? Are you sending it out to prohibited parties that are embargoed? Did, did somebody get bribed in the process? What was your carbon emission in this entire thing? So it's stuff that happens, right? And capturing that is what we are all working on right now. A very interesting and different way of thinking about supply chain and very challenging for everybody, right? To think about what what happened and what transpired, and uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's one of the big challenges that we are working on right now. And I think uh, if we had to talk big challenges in the supply chain, compliance management is one of them, and uh, of course, the complexity of regulations is a really big issue, both in the U.S. where we have number of compliance uh, trends that are not favorable 
but also definitely international, international. And then technology is the other big challenge, but I'm but sure those, we'll get to but that. But those are all ever-changing. Federal regulations come constantly, and they're always being updated, and they never get easier. Uh, they get more, more more stringent. And so those compliance, the the role of compliance is bigger every day. And obviously technology, I think it gets easier to, each upgrade makes it easier. It used to be, we're going to shut down the company for three days when we implement the new software. Now it's like the new software got implemented while we were working. Just finishing up the thing about regulations. So what the situation we are in right now with regulations is that you have regulations at different levels, as you spoke about. So for instance, if you take the data privacy regulations, so in the EU, you have GDPR regulating how your data privacy, but in the US, it's the individual states regulating, right? And, and, and so now you have via royal message, how do, how do you keep track of that? And how do you write your privacy policy such that it works across the states? And for us who are doing business globally, it's a, it's a very real issue. Yeah, and I think about this, I think if we went back a few years, maybe pre-COVID, we would say, well, there's certain countries you aren't allowed to ship certain products. So North Korea, we can't ship them, I think, anything, right? Probably Iran, you can't ship certain things. And then we had suddenly this war in Russia or Ukraine. Now all of a sudden you can't source things to, to Russia and you can't ship things to Russia. So these change supply chains overnight. And by the way, Russia was... They weren't the same as some other trading partners here in the U.S., but they were still an If it's your part, it's a very important partner. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and you, you name Russia, but then you have China and parts of China. And, uh, and that leads me into the technology discussion, right? Because what we have now is systems that are relying on everything being stationary. You you have your ERP system or your WMS or whatever, everything's stationary. It's always the same. And then you have the surrounding world. The surrounding world changes by the minute, right? You know, we saw it during COVID, all of a sudden what what you had in your system as a two week lead time turned into a five months lead time, right. plus minus, right. right? But you also have it with regulations. Where can I buy it from? What's a legit supplier? Where can I send it? What's a le legit destination? So all these variables, you cannot build into your system. Now you can maybe for some of it, do some overlay and get some, some support and help with it. But most people, frankly, are running on spreadsheets or, or local systems or trying their best and stuff like that. I, you know, I suspect that most larger corporations are, in one way or another, violating the laws because it just becomes too complex. And so one of the good things coming from the pandemic and the supply chain crisis we had during the pandemic was all the investment in, in, in supply chain technology. But realistically, that's, let's call it three to seven years out until that's commercially available and tested. So right now we are sitting with this increasing complexity of regulations and requirements to measure carbon emissions and other many other 
demands on the supply chain while we are really missing the technology to to have to deal with that those dynamic variable data that happen uh, all the time and that come at us yep. and i think when you look at what 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 made it really hard on supply chain professionals during during the pandemic supply chain crisis it was that thing that you just didn't have the technology and the tools to deal with right you know i have a daughter and she worked for a vaccine company during the pandemic and she was new in the job so she got personal protection equipment was what she had to buy to support her factory and um so she said simple enough she called there was a list of vendors and all those vendors were distributors not the actual yeah. manufacturing <laughs> companies and she said but we kind of figured out where all this stuff is made and she said you know where we figured out where most personal protection equipment's made wuhan china and she said it was hit us like a ton of bricks and i think during the pandemic we learned and by the way i think some of us naively said don't worry, the government has strategic supplies of some of this stuff. <laughs> and this was, this is kind of, this is, I think, a lesson learned. We should have, somewhere along the line, realized what would be critical stuff that we would want and need to make here. But I think what happened over time, and you've, we've all seen this happen, somebody says, save some money. So you outsource it to China. Save some money. We outsource it to Vietnam. And then one day when you say, what is strategic? We don't have strategic. We have low cost. <laughs> and, I, and I think that there's a, definitely a counter movement happening right now with near sourcing. And so we've always believed in near sourcing. About 80% of our suppliers are within 10 miles of our factories. Right? So, so I think there's a lot of value to near sourcing. And I believe that's going to happen more and more. So it's a long road, right? Because so much was outsourced. It, it right? took us so decades to move thing. stuff to Asia. It's going to literally take a decade or more to move it back. And I can say this. I went to school well into my 30s. And they were constantly talking early in my career, early in my career, we're going to be international. And I was like, I went to school and I learned Japanese. Great. Um, I should have learned Chinese. <laughs> but what I found is we talked about it for many, many years before I found myself working in Asia. And it's going to be the same way bringing it back. And I think we also, you mentioned it earlier, we have a lot of local regulations. When factories, when we moved a factory from Indiana or Michigan or Ohio and moved it to China, we didn't worry about whose backyard it was going into. When it moves back to the U.S., we're going to talk a lot about whose backyard it moves into because we've gotten used to the idea that we're a green company. And you don't get to say you're a green company if you see your smokestacks <laughs> down the street. Yeah, there's no doubt that when products are produced in the U.S., are manufactured in the U.S., the pollution is much lower. The impact on the environment is much lower. than. And, and well, it should be. I'm not complaining about that. So we talked a little bit about this, you, the stuff you're doing for Ford. And again, I think if I could, was to summarize so far, you guys work in technology, medical, automotive, and utilities, financial, these areas that require high compliance, governed by a lot of Fed regs for good reason, really each one of those. We need those guardrails, maybe not as much as we have, but we need the guardrails. And 
you said something I thought was interesting. No one said it this way yet. Said we manage the digital supply chain. We also manage the physical supply chain and the financial supply chain. I think we never think of it that way, but they are truly all supply chains. They are, and they need to run parallel. And so we have a methodology when we uh, engage in a dialogue with a potential customer, where we pull in our supply chain experts, and they sit down and they design the supply chain how we think it should be, and they look at all three supply chains and what's happening, and it allows us to then pull in the stakeholders. And you know, part of it is, of course, to a large extent, the digital supply chain is driving it just as much as the physical supply chain. For instance, one of the questions we will ask is who needs information and when do they need it and what type of information do they need? And so we, when we set up the entire supply chain, we are thinking about that up front. So in the medical sector, you and I spoke about that. One of the things we did very early on was we got into a testing market because 23andMe became a customer when they were just a startup or more or less out of a garage. Right? And because of that, we developed this deep expertise in the testing market and really expanded during COVID into COVID testing and spiked a lot during, during the pandemic. And so... That's, that's really the digital supply chain, right? Because one of the things you want to make sure is when you get your test results, it's actually yours. It's not somebody else's, right? So keeping track of that data in a very reliable manner and, of course, confidential manner is, is really key. So it goes into all supply chains these days. So would you actually receive these samples, do the testing on your in your facilities, and then... No, we don't run a lab. We don't run a lab, but we tie the individual testing to you. Okay. It's that digital supply chain. And it, again, I understand labs are a very specialized thing. I didn't know how deep you got into it. But give us another example. You gave us one for the how you manage uh, with automotive. Give us an example with one of the tech or medical companies that some of the supply chain stuff you're doing for them. Again, the uh, medical supply chain, we would do procurement, we would do, and of course, planning. And then we work with the different stakeholders. And I think this is a sort of a, a very typical situation for us where we go in and we look at who who is working in this field who needs to be involved. So this could be somebody who goes out to a hospital and installs equipment. And, and we have a website for them. They can go in and they can configure the equipment or say exactly what they need for that installation. And we configure it such that it's plug and play and it arrives just in time for that location. We also do similar, we, again, once you develop the technology tools to do these type of things, we do similar things for a big technology company that has retail stores. And so we send out equipment and fixtures and things that need to be configured just in time for that store. And then the installer comes in and installs it uh, real time. So these type of tools are tools we have developed over time because, again, it, it, it's conducive to this very complex supply chain that, that we are managing. And so these can be branded the way they need to be branded. You don't, you could be in the background doing an operation and uh, just kind of like I always use the example of like Intel inside. <laughs> no, nobody really knows what Intel, where they're at. We just know they're inside. And that sounds similar <laughs> to your company where 
maybe a, a large company said, we don't want to wade into this area. We'll let Hannah and her team do that and make it look just like it's it's us doing it. And I like that because I think there's a lot of companies. If I was working with a medical company and they said, yeah, give your go to this site and it was a different name on it, I might feel okay about that, but I'd be more comfortable if it was moved to this site and it was branded as their site, even if it said powered by, you know, Elam. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, we, we, we are not putting our name up on the front of the page, but we make no secret of that, that we are part of it. You will see our privacy policy. You'll see those type of things. But yeah, we, we, we clearly manage it on behalf of our customers. So we do a lot of customization. Again, we are, we are looking at the entire supply chain and the entire, all the stakeholders, and we make sure that they are taken care of in that supply chain. Yeah, I love it. And by the way, there's a ton of trucks that when they run down the highway, it might say Whole Foods, but that might be managed by a trucking company that is just contracted by Whole Foods. We see that. And again, I do think that is a very important part of what we do because retailers, automotive companies, all these companies want to be able to, it used to be, we're going to outsource just to save money and we're found lower cost people somewhere else. Now it's outsourcing because they have expertise that we don't. And we don't, we don't want to, and the big companies can acquire it, but why bother when you've already got it? <laughs> and frankly, also many companies have constraining factors in their technology departments where they have problems getting resources or maybe having the tools that we are having, the visibility tools. So that's another part of the digital supply chain is, of course, really real advanced business intelligence and real-time information alerts that you can set up. We have a lot of customization in our interface to customers, so different stakeholder levels where they can run different reports and those type of things. And again, if you have got a country manager, maybe they only need to see the data for that country, but then you've got a global manager who needs to get a different view. So we, we provide all of that uh, as part of the digital yeah, society. That, those permission levels, it sounds simple until you wade into it. And then, and then it becomes <laughs> impossible. <laughs> Now, do you actually get into transportation where you're actually moving stuff for your customers also, or are you responsible for that and you uh, outsource it to trucking companies or or care? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all outsourced. So we have favorable contracts, obviously, because we uh, do a fair amount of uh, moving of uh, physical goods, right? So, and we do both parcel and, uh, and uh, trucking and uh, some ocean. And so we have uh, a department that's uh, dealing with these uh, con both contracts and uh, nitty gritty of it that uh, now we talk compliance, so that's a big part of uh, moving moving stuff also, you know, a lot of what we move have uh, many products have batteries, right? So that's a big concern for transportation is battery and uh, how you deal with batteries during the transportation. It's hazmat, right? Right. I think before we hit record, we were, we were uh, talking and he said one of your first projects was duplicating and shipping floppy disks now kids kids look it up you can look up what a floppy disk is <laughs> but 
that is not a job that you would give to the average logistics company. And now I imagine it's moved well beyond floppy disks or whatever other. Yeah, fortunately. <laughs> yeah. But I think I've experienced this before. I've talked to other people about this. The shipping gaming system, gaming systems all have those. A lot of times they don't want to have to be responsible shipping. So if you ever see a launch of a game, when they launch those games, I know you don't get into, uh, I know it's a tech, but it's, maybe it's, it's something you get into. But when there's a launch of a game, it is like a movie now where they say released on July 15th and thousands and millions of these discs have to be shipped all across the world. It's very different than the way it used to be. And young people are much more likely to do e-commerce that they're not all going to buy over to Best Buy. They're not all going to GameStop. They are going online and saying, I want it. Well, I, I go online, I, you know, to be honest. So, yeah. Me too. So, <laughs> yeah, so we did a, but it's correct that the first year we were in business, we uh, produced software and 55% uh, of that was in floppy disks and my my nephew was fun. He 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 looked at the floppy disk and he said they must have duplicated it from the save button. <laughs> uh, so we talked a little bit about what came first and what what came last. So obviously we knew that was end of life technology at the, the at that time, and so we did a lot of different innovation and iterations. And I think it that innovation has become part of the company culture that, you know, we all the time look at, so what's next and how can we stay ahead, right? So it's part of Silicon Valley. It's also part of the learning that comes from, okay, technology is really changing, right? And, and I think uh, you and I spoke about automotive technology and, 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 and certainly uh, the automotive world is very different from the technology world and especially it used to be. And, and that clock speed was not of supply chain changes, were not what the automotive industry was used to with sort of 10-year 10 10 innovation cycles. And, uh, and uh, of course, Silicon Valley, uh, if an engineer got an idea in the good old days, they would uh, launch an update in the evening and guess what? In the morning, uh, right. everybody had the update. Right? So that didn't go so well with the regulatory uh, side of automotive. So I think everybody's learning from each other and understanding the different environments. But but the innovation is just really important. And I think for anybody who wants to stay in business, you know, you can see how fast uh, things are moving in the AI space right now, right? Fast enough that some of the players are getting concerned about whether this is out of control and out of out of the proverbial bottle, right? You know, and uh, can you put it back in? No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so you need to be... Uh, understand innovation and build it into the culture. I think that's really important. Yeah, it, re it reminds me the um, first time I was de developing software, there was a vice president of a big company, one of the big auto companies. He says, you, can, you can't use that software yet. It's not, it's just a prototype. I said, it's a beta. He goes, no. He goes, it's, it's a prototype. You can't use it yet. And I go, it's it's a beta. We're just beta testing. He goes, what is, what, what is beta test? I said, it's a prototype. And he goes, well, you can't sell <laughs> prototypes. In automotive, you can't sell prototypes. I go, 
<laughs> I said, we're not going to kill anybody with bad software. Cars are different. You kill people with them. Like if it's a bad, you can't sell a prototype. And I said, it's a little different. But yeah, to your point, these worlds are all colliding. And uh, it used to be Silicon Valley and Detroit were separate places. But now they're one and the same because there's the flights back and forth. Everyone I know is in automotive back and forth to Silicon Valley. So anyway... I love what you guys are doing. And again, I do think it's so important. And with you guys in Silicon Valley, I think to myself, all these tech companies are there and they're wonderful when they have to create software, whatever they're doing, right? Apps or whatever for phones or, but their strength would never be the physical supply chain world. And that's where you come in. But there's also other pieces, which is like I put something on a USB or put something you know, trans- transfer that to hundreds, if not thousands of, of other people and make sure the permissions are right. Yeah. So that convergence of industries is and has been very interesting. And, you know, now we are really seeing it in medical, right? Medical is just exploding right now and just very interesting with new technologies that can measure your well-being and is a cancer treatment working and things like that. Real time and send data to your treatment team or to you yourself, right? And did you sleep enough last night? And uh, what was the quality of sleep? And just a lot of different information. I told you before we hit record, my mom got um, a pacemaker last year, year before, during COVID. I went and stayed with her for six months. And a few weeks ago, she got a call from the doctor and they said, you need to come in. We need to make an adjustment to your pacemaker. Of course, she was freaked out. We were all freaked out. They sh- Don't do that, doctors. So, But anyway, they went and made this little tweak and we kind of forgot that they're constantly monitoring my mom's heart remotely. And you go whoa, that is crazy. And that's just the beginning. That has just begun. Before you know it, we're going to know so much more about, we're going to know problems before they hit. Anyway, Hannah, I want to wrap this bad boy up. So I love what you guys are doing. And I think it is so important because we're seeing this growth of these niches in our space. Again, not everybody should attempt to say we do everything. It seemed when I got into logistics space from automotive, any logistics company you ask, can you do this? They would always say, yeah, if it moves, we can move it. Now they're getting very focused on niche or niche, whatever you want to call it. And I think you need to stay in your lane. And you don't want to say we're everything to everybody. You just want to be really important to the people you serve. And I love that you picked these really difficult industries, the ones that have to live with fed regs and compliance. And I'll throw it out there, life and death. These are different and they have to be managed differently. Yeah, absolutely. So one one thing that we have not discussed before mm-hmm. we wrap things up is... is uh, the talent and the talent crisis, right? So we are we are we are working in we are an environment. There's a labor shortage, but there's also more importantly a talent shortage. And if there's one thing that I'm proud of, it's uh, the staff that we have, right? That that takes these very complex 
supply chain problems, and they are very complex these days, and translates them into something that we can execute on with excellence, and that makes it very easy over to the customer. Thank you. you you also, before we hit record, you were talking about women in supply chain and some of the organizations you're part of. Why don't you talk a little bit about that too? Because this is, I always feel like if you have a shortage of uh, women in the any space, I don't say shortage, wrong way to say it. If you can't interest women in this space, we're going to have shortages, talent shortages. It's just the name because they're 50% of the population. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and actually right now more than 50% of the the younger workforce because right now the trend is that young men don't enter the workforce at the same rate as as young women, right? So you really need to be able to (laughs) (laughs) you really need to be able to attract women, but not just women, also minorities and and really recognize the diversity of the workforce. So that's one of the key elements in our culture and you know the diversity and the respect for diversity and the support of diversity, right? You know, just not tolerate as 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 many do but but really embrace it and so uh, so that's one key recruiting thing and 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 auto retention thing so we can talk a lot about how we, we what we do to retain the workforce and the talent but when it comes to women, yeah, I'm I'm very involved in, uh, as you know, I'm on the board of National Association of Manufacturers. I'm also involved, so involved very much in manufacturing, the manufacturing community, but also in women's courses. And so we have groups of women and supply team, awesome being uh, a really a big group of women and supply team. And of course, I'm on the board of Women's Business Enterprise National Council, which is also working, connecting women-owned businesses with corporations and providing support and training. So uh, lots of uh, resources out there for women these days. And uh, certainly, uh, I see many women in supply chain. So that's why I was giving you a hard time earlier when I saw uh, that uh, it's been a while since you had another woman on the supply chain uh, I told you, though, podcast. I go out of my way. I, I honestly ask a lot more <laughs> women to be on the podcast than are. And by the way, you mentioned your friend, Laura. What's the, Laura? Yeah. What's, what's, uh, Laura Cicero. Yeah. Uh, you said, why don't you have Laura on your podcast? By the way, I am going to. And I had sent her a note years ago. And she was like, didn't answer. And I sent her one over the weekend and she said, yes. So, so it is not always easy to get women on my podcast, but I try. You had some other names of people, uh, women who are killing it in this space that I should interview. Who are they? I'd like to recommend uh, Anna Hooker from Exact Sciences. She's running a significant supply chain operations there. And, uh, you know, I think she's one of the real up and coming. What is the name of the company? Uh, women- Exact Sciences, and the other one is Kathy Winkle, who's running uh, the Johnson & Johnson Supply Chain. She's a, a real powerhouse, uh, and uh, of course, she is uh, incoming chair to the National Association of Manufacturers Board, and uh, we are really lucky to have her in that role. Well, I will definitely interview them, and uh, I love what you're doing, Hannah, and again, I, I I admire what you're doing because, again, it's a, a niche that you've picked and done really well in. And now you have these 19 locations around the world. I, when, we're, other than the Netherlands and the United States, where are, are your other locations at? So, of course, we have uh, 
locations in Canada and all through APAC and UK and in the EU. So, uh, you know, so we try to cover the key markets for our customers. Again, we do business with large corporations and uh, wherever they go, you go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very customized. To our so customers those locations, needs. they would vary based on the customer. Yeah, they do both uh, the size, the complexity, the staffing, what exactly we are doing there. And, you know, I mean, again, we work with uh, companies that are under regulatory requirements. And I mean, we started up in uh, Korea because one of our customers had regulatory requirements that did require us to be in Korea inside the country. And uh, so, yeah, we started up and uh, made that happen. I remember talking to my friend um, Demo down in Panama, and he was saying they were they sense they were doing apparel. I know you don't get into apparel, but he was saying when you're sending to those thirty odd countries in Latin America, they all have different requirements. Now you can do those in your factories in the U.S. or in Mexico, or you can give them to a third party logistics company. But some require you need this tag sewn in. This one needs this regulation, uh, a piece of paper put in. Each one had a different requirement. And then there were sales things in different, you know, so you say, hey, I'm going to put this 20% off tag on this one. And I always thought, do you want to manage that in your main warehouse where or your main factory where you're trying to get throughput? Or do you want to send that to a third party logistics company to manage it much more effectively, much more efficiently than you could at your own location. And sometimes you can do it in line, depending on how your systems are set up and how flexible they are. It doesn't need to be one or the other. Yeah. I will say this as an automotive guy, we dreaded certain requirements that I think it was Japan that you had to sell like a fire extinguisher in. And and we decided we won't put it in here. We'll let them put it in at the dealership. But do, do engineers back in the U.S. want to trust a dealership that they haven't visited? <laughs> no. <laughs> you want to make sure you do it right. So these there's so much complexity out there. And we have to always figure out where's the best place to manage that complexity. And uh, as I was beat into my head as a young man, complexity is the enemy of quality. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Uh, that depends on how you deal with it, because you can actually, if you use systems correctly and design it correctly. I think we're talking about like assembly lines. It's really hard when you have like 20 different variants. That's why you want to send it off to someone else. Yeah, but uh, those somebody else uh, have to have the systems to deal with it as well, right? And so that may be their core competency. So, uh, you know, you can actually design a lot of systems. And, you know, we, we do it all the time, sort of on a very basic level. For That's instance, your business. We, <laughs> it, so you take a test kit. We cannot manifest it if we don't have tracking serial number and the traceability all the way the line in our system. And then the manifest simply will not take it. Yeah. Right. The, right. So you create those type of controls and and it, it, it have the systems help you. And I think again back to the technology discussion is we have thought wrong about the technology. Oh, it, it was right for the time, but now the time is different. And so I think Drucker said something about that uh, there's nothing wrong with turbulence. What's wrong is using the same 
tools as before the turbulence when you go through the turbulence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what I'll do, uh, Hannah, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your website and any other links you give to me. And final thoughts on today's topic, which is the outsourced supply chain with Anna Kane. Oh, come on. We could talk forever about the, the, the talent, right? We didn't get to talk a lot about that. We can talk uh, about technology challenges and, and the complexity and uh, both compliance and, and other things, right? And then, of course, there's all the current topics uh, going on with inventory management and uh, balancing and things like that. So lots of topics to talk about. But I think the bottom line is it's a very exciting time. It's a challenging time, but it's also a very exciting time to be in supply chain. And in my book, the bigger the bigger problems we have in an in industry, the more reward for whoever solves it. So I'm super happy and I'm really tickled to have been here with you today. Yeah, well, thank you. And again, one of the messages that is always comes out clear to me, uh, loud and clear is, we need to get the right partners. And, you know, you have to go out and pick the right over the road freight broker or carrier or 3PL. And I think what you guys are doing, if somebody's doing the type of work that fits in your wheelhouse, it really doesn't fit very many other places. And I've always said, I don't want, um, I've advised shippers on selecting or supply chain companies on selecting 3PLs. And I always say, don't let them learn on your dime, right? You want to go to someone who's the expert. And that's the challenge because I think so often somebody says, hey, can you do this? Well, yeah, we'll hire some engineers. We'll get a warehouse. We can do what they do over at Elon. But the answer is no, no, go with somebody who's already doing it. So if you have that technology problem or that compliance problem, that Fed reg sensitive space, you want to have a partner like uh, you and your team. So I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yep. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, Hannah. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.